0: Today is Wednesday. It's February 14th, 2024. Happy Valentine's Day. It's 2.44 in the afternoon. I'm John Williams, and this is the Mincing Rascals podcast, portions of which we broadcast Saturday nights on WGN. Not this week, but next Saturday night, we're back on the radio at 8 o'clock, and you can always hear me weekdays on WGN from 10
1: to 2.
2: I'm Austin Byrd from the Illinois Policy Institute. And you can check out my book, The New Chicago Way Lessons from Other Big Cities.
1: I'm Brandon Pope, host of On the Block, powered by Block Club Chicago on WCIU and the Making Series from WBEZ.
3: I'm Kate Plies, former Chicago reporter and columnist, now writing the Strange Chicago History website. Roseland, Chicago,
4: 1972. I'm Eric Zorn, the uh, editor, publisher, and only writer, not only writer, I guess, of the uh, Pecayune Sentinel, a a not very strange weekly Substack newsletter.
0: Yes, very strange part of your Substack newsletter, or are you just always describing it that way?
3: I'm just describing it that way because it is kind of hard to describe. So just say strange, and that covers it. Then they know what they're getting
0: when they get there. Yeah, yeah. Chicago has a system to aid police called ShotSpotter microphones throughout the city listen for the sound of gunfire and alert police to the location. Brandon Johnson campaigned on eliminating the system and said this week that Chicago won't renew a 49 million dollar contract. He will, however, extend the current one until after the Democratic National Convention here this August. Shot spotter is unpopular among some progressives and some people of color who feel it unfairly targets them and and their neighborhoods. I got to tell you guys, on paper, it always sounded like a good idea to me, and I was never completely able to get my head around why it was so unpopular. It's part of a raft of technologies that, however invasive, are only there to try and help or protect people in those neighborhoods. Austin, I know that you opined about this.
2: So first, ShotSpotter is more complicated than almost anybody gives it credit for or gives this issue credit for it's either like you love shotspotter and therefore the police are awesome or you hate shotspotter and the police are the devil so that's one and then second so that's the policy decision around how do you shotspotter is one question how this policy change was rolled out is a second question first question first Shot spotter is a technology that basically is listening all the time to the city. And when something pops off that sounds like a gunshot, it alerts the police department. Police sends people to the scene. This has saved many lives in Chicago of people who have been shot who otherwise would not have been saved. The problem with that technology, it's all about the implementation, is that it has such a high rate of false positives, meaning what a car backfires, some some noises happen. It's a big city, right? That... Police resources are being sent on kind of wild goose chases, and it actually is. In some research, has found is worse than doing nothing because of just the the craziness that it uh, that it brings about in terms of responses going every which way to these shots that may or may not have happened. So that's that's really where the discussion on ShotSpotter started. And you see in cities like Houston, they still do this, and it's still a problem there. In Chicago, though, this was recognized. And over the last several years, the city has dedicated millions, tens of millions of dollars to creating these things called SDSCs, strategic decision support centers, which is basically built on: hey, we have ShotSpotter technology uh, and they're in they're in 12 police districts right now. They went from two to twelve. And when ShotSpotter goes off, we get an alert that also triggers alert from local surveillance cameras. It cross-references things with, with, it cross-references with data on hyper-localized uh, gang and crime intelligence, community policing intelligence, and surveillance. And the idea is, okay, the police are now going to be able to make more informed decisions about whether we send people out to where this shot was heard. And that hasn't been going on for long enough, and there hasn't been enough analysis done to know, if fix the problem with shotspotter and that's going great or it's going poorly. And that is what Chief, uh, what Superintendent Snelling said to city council two weeks ago. He said, listen, this is controversial technology, but we need to assess if this is working. We need to move forward in a deliberative manner, and then we can make a decision. So I'm asking for time. And the mayor said, too bad. We're getting rid of it. And that gets to what happened today or over the last 24 hours, which is the mayor said, We are extending this through the summer. We're going to use ShotSpotter through the summer. Uh, Even though I think it's horrible, we're going to extend it through the summer and then discontinue it. The problem, one of the huge problems with how he rolled that out was he didn't have the extension inked with the company before saying that. So he said publicly, we're going to extend it throughout the summer and then discontinue them. The contract ends Friday and he doesn't have an extension yet. So what does that do? It puts the city in a horrible negotiating and bargaining position, because now ShotSpire can say, look, on Friday, we're flipping the off switch. Or pay us a ton of money and you save face and you can extend it throughout the summer. So now he is in this horrible political quagmire. Uh, I would not be surprised if ShotSpire just turns off Friday and says, go for it. And he hands over the keys.
4: Well, wouldn't wouldn't that cost ShotSpotter some money? I mean, I mean, this is a business. They, why would they why would they do that if they they get money get paid through September? Better to get
2: they? it through September. It's and it's also just this company has been uh, the subject of a lot of public criticism from the mayor, and you saw it's stock price tank of that company after all this has gone on. It's mm-hmm. not. I think in the budget there's allocated maybe eight million dollars for that technology. It might not be worth the trouble for that company to, to go about doing that. We're going to see by Friday. It's either an extension or not. But the fact that the mayor called that shot without, no pun intended, without having the contract was a really bad idea.
4: You really think that's going to put them in a funny negotiating position? Because I mean, I just can't imagine there's money on the table for, for shot spotter, or what are they called now? Uh, sound thinking. And I, I can't imagine they would not just keep the opportunity and they might end up saving something dramatically over the summer or being really effective during the DNC and this would change more more minds in the city. I'm I'm interested first of all in Snelling testified uh, Superintendent Snelling that this this is effective technology. They want to keep it and some of the pro cop alders are saying that they're in favor of it also. And I know the activists are opposed to it. I'm really as interested in knowing what the neighbors and the neighborhood feels like. I think I think Father Flager uh has said that he's in favor of it i mean and anti some anti-violence people are in favor of it i just i just don't know if if brandon johnson is is um serving his base here his base seems to not like it or if 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 his base is actually behind him on this Uh, this was a campaign promise he made but is it is it really something that the communities want because this this technology it is and it is heavily uh used in in black and brown communities but do, are those communities the ones that are complaining or are they, are there just some, some loud activists about it? I, I'd like to know more about that. Uh, I know that it is technology is in progress and that, and that there are a lot of false positives that happen. On the other hand, as John said in his intro, it has saved lives. Uh, it has gotten first responders to scenes and helped injured people, uh, who might not have, have survived. So it doesn't, it doesn't feel like the kind of decision that's being made purely for, Law enforcement reasons. It feels like it's being made for political reasons, and that's and that's where I have questions about it. Anyway,
1: it's definitely a um, a decision that's been made for political reasons for sure. This is um, what Mayor Johnson's the people that voted him in office is what they wanted. This is this is what he ran on. A system where we give people credit for keeping campaign promises and knock them for not keeping campaign promises. Yeah. Johnson keeps campaign promises. He said he was going to do this, uh, and look. It's it's interesting to me because you have a lot of police out there who say this is a helpful tool for them, but the data doesn't point to it being that effective at all. The city pays $10 million for this, and according to the MacArthur Justice Center, uh, a 2020 re- 2021 report found that 86% of police deployments to these gunfire alerts resulted in no reports of crime at all. That's a terrible rate <laughs> of just, like, ineffectiveness. So. If anything, there needs to be another solution found, another system found, because ShotSpotter, it's costing $10 million that can be allocated somewhere else, and it's not really doing much. And then also you have the concerns from communities of color that, yeah, it's predominantly being used against them. Um, there's even some activists out there who believe that the Adam Toledo case uh, was partially because of this Faulty shot spotters t- t- technology there. So I, I think the concerns are valid. I think the concerns from police are also valid because, as Austin pointed to, it has saved lives in cases too. I think the mistake the Johnson administration may be making here, if they jump the gun on this without actually having um, something in place to replace this or another strategy for crime prevention then what are we actually doing?
0: Brandon, in the Toledo case, the 13-year-old boy who was shot, shot spotter technology was used to alert police to the scene where the boy eventually lost his life. A police officer fired at him when the officer thought that maybe he was turning a gun on him. But in fact, a shot was fired. I mean, they were alerted correctly to the scene of gunfire. They just reacted tragically in that case. I still don't know why, though. I mean, is this it, that a gun shot goes off the police scramble to the scene they arrive at the scene and maybe there's a person of color there who didn't fire the gun Is not guilty of any crime but the police go aha we got you and it's targeting the wrong people who just by happenstance happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time but in general if that's where the gunshots are being fired why wouldn't you want this I'll be a big brother-ish technology. Maybe that's the scary thing about it. I mean, we've got helicopters and drones and microphones all oh, looking over your shoulders. But it is in the name of
3: protection. Part of what's bothering me, definitely, is that we don't still know what the people in the neighborhoods truly affected by this most really, really think about it. We know what the activists think. They are not necessarily representative. I think it's very telling that 12 aldermen did, you know, have that little press conference to speak out against shutting it down. And they all come from places where they have it. They all got elected, just like Brandon Johnson, and they won it. As far as I know, there was just the one community meeting about it. And it was heavily split. It was a little hard to tell from the coverage. It sounded like it would might have even been a little bit more in the meeting itself weighted towards people who um were for it people There was one person in particular who spoke out saying that their relative had been shot, and the only reason police showed up and you know medics was because of the shot spotter that is. One of the arguments, um, Alderman Beale, for instance, that was his major argument when he was talking to reporters about this. A lot of communities, people either don't call 911 because they're so we hardly get any response out of it in a lot of places um, or they're afraid to. Or they're so used to hearing gunshots that they're just not going to call 911 for it. Yeah, which one? So it's Shot Spotter or nothing to get the police out there.
0: All right, so take the money that you would have spent on ShotSpotter and get more police, not just in their SUVs, but policing the neighborhood, walking the beat. If they said, okay, we're going to have more neighborhood policing, whatever that means, would you make that trade? Uh,
3: if, it was, if, if you're going to take that $8 million and put it directly into actually hiring more police. because We are down by 900 cops. Those vacated positions just got zeroed out of the budget this year. Uh, Brandon Johnson's spokesperson was very specific that they don't know what they're doing instead of shot spotter. They said that. Oh, yeah. now, now that we've decided we're not going to have it, we're going to start figuring that out. Uh,
4: and it's pretty telling, isn't it, that they're going to keep it over the summer? Like they could just stop it right now. But it must be doing something because they want it for the summer months, which are, of course, the months with the most gun violence in it. Uh, I wanted to add to what we were talking about Adam Toledo, that case. Um, and the ShotSpotter worked in that case. What happened after ShotSpotter worked is really the issue there. And you bring, you bring up this, this tragic death of this 13 year old boy. Uh, and that that's a totally different matter. And, it, and Adam Toledo comes up in every story about yep. ShotSpotter. Yep. And, and that was ShotSpotter working. I mean, that was what it was supposed to do. They got these, they, they fired nine shots at a car and the cops showed up and they found the guys, the, I guess the older guy in that group had been, had been shooting the gun and that's what you want them to do. Now, now there's also, there's other questions having to do with that case. I don't understand why Adam Toledo keeps coming up in that. The, yeah, I know but it gets, it gets people. Get it. And, and the statistic about, about 86% of the time they don't have an arrest. That doesn't really surprise me because When guns go go off and they're shooting, it's like people scatter, and I I wouldn't – I don't know what a good percentage would be uh, of arrests that would happen. I know they talk about there are not that many arrests. Well, you would have to – someone would have to, like, fire a gun and then wait because the cops aren't right there. (laughs) I got to fire my gun and then I'm going to stand here and wait for the cops to get here. 86 – but, you know, 14 percent. Is pretty good, it seems to me. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you compare it to. People really want to prove a point about Strathsbutter one way or the other. And that there's, and it's really hard to find someone who's like, does this work and should it work? And if it doesn't work, what could work better? And could it be tweaked? I mean, this is not, this is not new technology, but technology is always advancing. So are we just going to say, well, this is never going to work. We don't want this. Just, it feels like a political statement by the mayor, who does not, by the way, keep all of his campaign promises. And I want to just mention the elected school board that he was so hot on while he was running for mayor. And now (laughs) mayor, he was like, "Eh, maybe he's not so much.
0: Well, Austin, what would you do? Would you keep this system in place just a little bit longer?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, we don't know. So and Eric got a Exactly right, which is that, and this is, I've said this before, the entire problem with the Chicago Police Department's governance, which is that it is political, not professional governance, and this is a political, not professional decision. The professional decision is to take that data and analysis that shows, hey, ShotSpotter is inefficiently deploying resources in ways that isn't actually making us safer. Now, the city took corrective action on that, put in millions and millions of dollars to make these sort of command centers to do it better, and... Now the same people who are touting, oh, hey, it wasn't working, are saying, this is he we ended it. And that proves that it wasn't about the efficacy in the first place. It's about an overriding ideology that the fewer police officers are in these neighborhoods, the better off we are. And that is not reflective in any polling of any, any actual voters in those neighborhoods. And that is what I, when Brandon Johnson says he is going forth with this collaborative co-governance model, it is not with voters. It is with an activist base, and he will do 100% of the time so far what they say to do. The way this decision was rolled out speaks to that.
1: I think we have to be careful labeling the people that supported Brandon Johnson as just an activist base. He had a pretty diverse coalition of people who were backing his agenda. The activists may be The loudest and the noisiest, but there are everyday people who back his agenda and back the progressive ideas he has. So I think we just got to be careful painting them all as just a fringe activist wing. A lot of people like Brandon Johnson's ideas and proposals. It's different for Chicago. It's different for the entire country, but
2: they are popular. And Brandon's right. It's not as though. And the important part of that is that not everyone who voted for Brandon Johnson wants this. Right? right and Brandon Johnson won by the smallest margin of any mayor in the history of the city of Chicago. So when I say he's bending to his base in the Chicago Teachers Union in particular, um, I'm not saying that. He, I'm, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying most of his voters, in some cases, maybe wouldn't have even supported this. Right, but it's he's listening to the folks who got him in office. Well, which did the his CTU campaign old- funder and his biggest political muscle?
0: Did the CTU sound off about this one too? Absolutely.
2: So United Working Families, Kennedy Barley, the head of that uh, political organization, which is funded and managed by the Chicago Teachers Union, she was in the press release saying, hallelujah, this is amazing. Um, Meanwhile, you have the police department saying, let's get a little more time. It's not the police department saying it's not copaganda. You can have a a, let's have an analysis of if this tool works or not, and that should be – A part of discussions and that seemed like a completely reasonable path to me
3: the fact that we've gotten to this point and i still cannot see any real answer on what the feeling is in the neighborhoods about it and i still don't really feel like we have answers on whether or not it works as 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 eric points out the the metrics that they're judging it by in these reports that are saying it's not effective, I don't know that those metrics are what we should be measuring. But I don't really know exactly how it should be measured. Uh, but but all in all, what it adds up to is it it hasn't been figured out, and yet it's just being wiped off the board without having said even what's replacing it. For
0: all we know, we could be this close to getting it right. This happens sometimes, especially in political considerations. And then they say, nope, we don't have the energy for it anymore. We're done when maybe it would have really been more effective. Maybe it really would have reduced crime. Maybe it really would have increased the apprehension rate. But is there any chance, are you guys hearing, that they would extend it after the DNC? Well,
3: the aldermen that you know, had that press conference and there were 12 of them definitely are going to attempt to uh, bring it up in city council. And I mean, I don't know how that's going to go, but apparently they're going to try. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, we are finally actually getting some discussions and debates and close votes in city council. So I think that's going to be fascinating.
4: Is there, there is, I I was reading some of these stories, there does seem to be some movement to to putting this to a vote of the council. Is that Is that in the purview of the council? It
3: could just be a resolution.
0: Yeah, but that doesn't mean they have to do it.
3: No, no. But I mean, they were not specific about exactly what they were going to do, just that they were definitely going to try and bring it up in city council. Um, So, I mean, it could just be a non-binding resolution.
2: This is exactly the type of thing that a a city council should be involved in doing, right? It affects every single ward. It's it's hyper-local. Every ward experiences this differently. And this is, again, the problem with, like, this fake co-governance thing. It was the same thing with school resource officers. And Brandon Johnson goes, okay, the, the people who funded my campaign and got me in here, not all my voters, the people who got me into this office, say that we need to not ever have cops in schools. So I don't care what your school council says. I don't care what your experience has been. We're getting them all out. And it's the same thing with ShotSpotter. Instead of going to the city council, the people who are representing all these wards and saying, Okay, this is this technology. Uh, you know, we've invested a ton in this. This is a critical part of the future of public safety response in our city. What does everybody think? That would be co-governance. Uh, instead, it is I'm making this decision. We're we're leaving this behind. And and doing it in a totally ham-fisted way that I, Eric is skeptical, but I think will totally blow up in his face. I
1: just call, I, I want to caution us: to just, we don't know how people feel, <laughs> and I and I I do think that if you if you go to the south and west side and talk to people about Shot Spider, just ordinary people, they're probably on Brandon Johnson's side on this. I don't think it's the as film. unpopular as we may be making it out to be. And I don't think Brayden Johnson is just is just operating off of a rogue, fringe agenda that only maybe 20 percent of people support. I, I, he's, he's He's got popular ideas here. He was elected. It was, may have been a small margin, but it took more than just CTU to get him there. Like people had to be swayed uh, across agendas and people who really don't care about the CTU.
0: What did the special counsel Robert Hur report tell us that we did not already know? that Joe Biden is a well-intended elderly man with poor memory. If you thought differently about him, then you hadn't been paying attention. Heard defends making those observations, saying that his obligation is not just to see if a statute was violated, but also if he can get a conviction. So therein lies the relevance of this sympathetic old man in front of a jury. So today we have stories like the USA Today's after-special counsel report who could replace Biden on the 2024 ticket. One takeaway for all of this is the slew of stories this week about memory's relationship to decision-making ability, forgetting with a small F and forgetting capital F. And the word I've heard is that what Biden does and Donald Trump does, sometimes getting names wrong, in itself should not be cause for concern. But this story won't go away. Actually, maybe it will go away, right? I mean, everything eventually goes away. Maybe in February this isn't as determinative as it feels right now, but damn, this thing's got legs.
3: Maybe I'm wrong, but I think this could be the groundswell on this issue that finally makes the Democratic Party admit that they have been wrong to stonewall everybody in discussing this issue uh like you asked what what was in there that we didn't know we did all know what was in that but the democratic party was making sure that it didn't get discussed the way it should have been Um, and obviously they in my opinion irresponsibly didn't make President Biden stepped down a long time ago. Now it has become truly the center of discussion. Basically, they changed Basically, he changed, you know, the Overton window, as they say. He made it something that is truly acceptable for everybody to talk about out in the open, including the media outlets that didn't want to.
4: You know, I have expressed this concern about Biden. I don't think that this necessarily means that I'm I'm uh, enabling Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump's got severe cognitive issues and memory issues himself. And I just think that we need we don't need a couple of guys hovering around the age of 80 running for president of the United States. Uh, I think it would have been much better if Biden had been the transitional president that everyone kind of thought he was going to be. And that we, they should have cleared the DAX maybe a year or so ago to give somebody enough runway to run uh, against Trump or against the Republican nominee, whoever that might be. I think the Republicans should have done the same thing. I, I thought John Stewart was on point the other night on the, his, his debut back on uh, on the Daily Show, and he was saying like, all these surrogates come out and say. Joe Biden, he's really focused. He's really, you know, he's really engaged. You should be in these meetings with him. He is like, he's on top of his game. And Stuart said, is anybody videotaping this? Because all the videotape we see is him kind of, you know, old man voice and at the, at the podium during news conferences and, and losing, seemed to lose his train of thought all the time. Um. I like his his policies well enough that I would vote for him if he was in a vegetative state. Frankly, over Donald Trump, that doesn't really bother me. I just think that as a matter as a matter of inspiring the people, you need to get out to vote. You need to address this problem, and I, I think right now it's too late for the Democrats to change. Yeah, but they need to change tactics. I don't know how they you address
0: need, the problem. If,
4: well, if if. If the problem is not there, as some, as some of them say, then bring him up, put him on, you know, let him do the wait, Super Bowl what interview. Is,
0: oh, Let's not do the Super Bowl interview again. I think they're really glad they didn't do the Super Bowl because he would have played right into that narrative that, in fact, he's not a, he's not a good interview. That's why they're not having him to give interviews. Do you think he would have saved himself? The timing would have been perfect for him to do that. You think he could have saved
2: himself on Super Bowl
0: Sunday? Well, that's
2: a, That's a really good question, isn't it? I think he should have done, he should have done a, Kanye-style selfie video, just saying, everybody, I'm good. Uh, you know, this is great. I'm I'm all good. Have a great day. And then that could be the ad. $7 million on the spot, no production budget.
0: Donald Trump would have done that. Trump was famous for just putting— January 6th, Trump put a camera in front of himself and said, we love you, now go home. I mean, it, well, it doesn't have to be any more sophisticated than that.
4: If Jesus could afford two commercials in the Super Bowl, he could have <laughs>
2: afforded
4: one. Come on.
1: What Eric just brought up about what Jon Stewart said is like, it's right on point. Like, no one likes to be gaslit. And it has felt like the Democratic Party and top Democratic officials have been gaslighting voters
3: mm-hmm. and
1: telling them that what they see is not what it is. Yet, all of their strategy and actions seem to prove <laughs> what we see is what it is. This man is too old to go on camera, do regular interviews. He's barely doing anything. They had a great opportunity. Uh, they had him do like this thing where he went to, uh, I think it was North Carolina and surprised some kids and their his, his family, African-American family, went to the southern staple called Cookout, grabbed some burgers. And these kids made a TikTok of it and went viral. And so now the Biden campaign's put out video of it. And the video they selected, like a one minute and 30 second clip. I'm just like, that's the best you had of the interaction? Was him asking really weirdly and dryly, well, you know, how's school? How how are your grades? Like, they're missing the point. They're missing the message. And everyone's trying to tell you in the room, there's a problem here. Fix it. And they keep trying to tell us there isn't. And that's what's insulting to a lot of people. Boys and Chicken Fingers, I had a double cheeseburger and the president had a hamburger and a chocolate shake. We talked about everything. My work and education, the boys' love of sports, and how we volunteer at our local church. My oldest son, Christian, is turning 16 soon. And he told the president he wanted his first car to be a brand new black Tesla. I'm thinking more of a used station wagon. President Biden told us what his first car was. 1951, Plymouth, And that's why... It's really tough to see a Biden win in 2024 if something doesn't change. Are you going to lean on surrogates to go out there for you and show vitality you don't have? Or are you going to let Kamala Harris go out there? Is she going to activate in a way that we haven't seen yet? She hasn't been um, given
0: a chance. I think I would. I, I would unleash Kamala a little bit more. Like, okay, fix the southern border problem, Kamala. Well, I'm sorry. What do you know? She couldn't cure cancer either. Uh, remember, she became vice president during COVID. So how much opportunity has I, – I don't think we know what Kamala Harris is capable of. I would be interested in seeing some surrogates out there because it's not about whether or not Joe Biden can hang with people at a cookout at the end of the day. It's about the policies. Did the administration actually sign off on what would have been a good border bill? That would have been a pretty good piece of legislation. It got nixed, but now they're trying to re-engineer it. It does seem to me like they're not incapable of trying to run the government to negotiate good ideas, Uh, but Joe Biden is a a forgetful, frail old man. Maybe we've been
1: getting gaslit. Then what's the fix? I don't think it's too late to get somebody else. It's not ideal. But I don't think it's too late. I really don't. Okay, but then I, but, all right. But then you you don't
3: get I to make to that agree. call.
1: I don't. Biden <laughs> does. His ego won't let him.
3: I mean, I totally agree with you, Brandon. It is not too late. It can't be too late for Biden to step down and for someone else to be the Democratic nominee. It, it cannot be too late. I, I don't know what their provisions are over there, but they obviously must have something in place. For if he, for if a presidential candidate were to suddenly drop dead, and even if they don't have something in place, they can make their own rules. I would be shocked if they weren't over there right now scheming away on exactly how they would put it in place in order to get the person they want to replace Joe Biden. Uh, David,
2: who is a you know staunch never Trump conservative columnist. At the New York Times had an interesting piece about this and basically said, listen, I think Biden has a solid case for re-election. He is absolutely preferable to Trump. But and, and he himself, as we have been talking about, should be the person making the case to voters that he is not in cognitive decline. But if leaving it up to Biden to do that fills you with alarm and dread, then it's probably time to consider a different course of action. And what you would do is go to the DNC. Right. Announce at the DNC that I'm not going to be running. You, the delegates, should pick, he should not pick the successor ego. You, you, the delegates, pick the person who should run. That's one way you could go about it. The, the convention in Chicago couldn't they
0: there select a different candidate other than the incumbent?
4: Well, I don't know that they could because he's going to rack up all the primary victories. He's going to sew up all the delegates that you need to be nominated, and I believe those delegates are committed on the first ballot. I, I don't think you can just go in and go, I mean, unless you have rogue delegates, and I don't, I don't even think those are allowed under party rules. I mean, that used to be that way. I mean, it used to be that the delegates uh, were able to do that, and that's why conventions like 1968 were so interesting. Hmm. But I don't, they're not, that's why they're not interesting anymore, is the delegates really aren't free to vote for who they would want to be there. So it would have to be Biden making that decision. I don't quite understand why he thinks he's the best person to defeat trump i mean i know he he was in 2020 i i think but i don't think he is now and and uh he does have a he does have a a good record as far as democrats are concerned and i think i think brandon's term of gaslighting is is one that uh, really resonates with me because i see all these democratic surrogates telling me what what i should be seeing and 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 then i also hear people saying oh yeah he, he so he misses up some names so does donald trump did Barack Obama do this all the time? Did Did George W. Bush, for that matter, uh, forget which presidents are with which countries and things like that? I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I and I think the idea that he's all forceful behind the scenes, but in, he can't come out in in the public and do this. Part of being a president is that bully pulpit, is is inspiring the people, is speaking to them and, and motivating them. And, He's never
0: and, been that way, not during his term. Eric, do you think if no. he had not screwed up the president's name, Mexico and Egypt – And by the way, I don't know their names off the top of my head, and I know I'm not the president, but if he had not done that, if he had not done that, would we be having this conversation about his cognitive ability?
4: Yes. Yeah, we would be having this conversation. It was just kind of ironic that he messed that up in the news conference that he called to talk about that his memory is stolen. I know that. I know that. But he defended
0: himself and then took that last question, and that's what really lit this firecracker.
4: I think the firecracker was already lit. I mean, I think it's been lit for
0: a while. uh, Do you guys have – so what's your – so at the – Convention, We're going to blow up uh, Biden and Kamala Harris. Give me your dream ticket. Because, by the way, I, as much as I'm defending, it sounds like, I guess I am, Joe Biden, I, I agree with the fact that uh, I think I've seen Joe Biden for all of his failings all along. I wish he wasn't running, too. But I don't think that the administration has been administering incoherently. It's just Joe Biden. That's, that's what we elected for crying out loud. OK, so who, who are you going to put up there? OK, give me your one, two.
3: I mean, I really would like to see a few people. This is a short answer question, and, Kate. Oh. I need
0: names. I need names. All right.
3: Then, then I'm, I'm just going to go ahead with Dean Phillips since he put himself out there and he's the only one I've heard speak on it because the others <laughs> have been too chicken to do so. There
0: you are. All right. That's your president. You got? Are you going to let Kamala still be vice president or no? no okay you got well not
3: because i have any big opinion on her but just because she's massively unpopular it doesn't matter why she just is
4: she is i think i know why (laughs) and why is that eric (laughs) I, i mean i think it's i think it's racism i i mean i you know she's if, if she were a white woman, um, Brandon can Brandon's
3: laughing, but you can tell me whether he, dis, he agrees or disagrees. Uh, I think there's she, more to it, but I, I just, I don't know all, I, I'm not sure what all the factors are.
4: Definitely think that's why, you look at some of the conservative uh, voices and they just like, they bring up her name, like she said, she's become a dog whistle. I, I you know, I, I don't think that uh, things, people have been fair to to Kamala Harris. She's a very, she's a very bright woman. Um, I would go, my, my top of my ticket is Gretchen Whitmer, they uh, Governor of Michigan. Yeah. I like her. And for vice president, I I kind of like J.B. Pritzker myself. That's I
0: wonder if you happen. want the governors of California or Illinois, though, on the ticket because you've already got those states. Michigan makes sense to me.
4: I would
1: lean Pete Buttigieg, who did a great run, um, has done a great job so far in the Department of Transportation. I'd probably have him as your top of the ticket with perhaps Gretchen Whitmer there at VP.
2: I think Whitmer or J.B. is an interesting pair, mostly because. If this is going to be a last-ditch effort, I mean, JB Pritzker spent more than three hundred million dollars so far, at least, just to be governor of Illinois. And of Illinois, can you imagine the amount of money he would be spending presidential run? Uh That would it would be good to have him on the ticket.
0: Uh, my ticket is Michelle Obama and Taylor Swift. I think they would probably. <laughs> Sweep the whole thing. The Illinois Senate is taking up end-of-life legislation called medical aid in dying. If you're diagnosed with an illness and have less than six months to live with several guardrails in the bill, a doctor could prescribe a pill, which you could take on your own to end your life. Ten states have this. Washington, D.C. does, too. I say, what? A good idea. In fact, I think it doesn't go far enough. For instance, you have to be of demonstrably sound mind and a person with Alzheimer's who could live for years is not in a position to make that decision. I would find a way to allow those people to end their lives. But as one co-sponsor of the bill Linda homes of Aurora told us today, baby steps, baby steps. This is a start. Maybe they'll find a way to accommodate people with severe dementia. But for now, what about the people who are suffering with pancreatic cancer? Let's let them make the call.
4: I think it's a really good idea, and I'm I'm just afraid that uh, there's going to be some— and I know there's already a pushback from the Catholic Church, uh, and I, I say to people who are Catholic who don't like this idea that they should not do it. Uh, but the, this is a matter of of individual liberty, individual choice, uh, and it's your own body, it's your own life, and uh, I think the ability to end it with dignity, to uh, end your life with dignity, is a really important one.
3: It is ironic how much this maps onto the abortion debate in in terms of it uh, being a decision about life and uh, a big group of people saying, "Let us." deal with our own lives the way we want to. You're not obligated. You yeah. do what you want. Yeah. And the Catholic Church, of course, being on one side of it. I, and I, I really hope this is going to get a really big discussion going, because obviously, to me at least, having gone to public uh, Catholic school for 12 years, I I really don't like them telling me what to do yeah. at all. Practically, I have oppositional defiance disorder from that.
1: Yeah, I'm with everybody else. I think it just makes sense. I'm surprised that it's that controversial of an issue, honestly. I leave it in people's hands. Yeah,
0: or that it took this long. I mean, it's not, it's not on the yeah.
1: books now.
2: Yeah, I mean, the whole reason I, I am in this like field of political stuff is because I listened to a book when I was 16 years old pulling weeds in this old lady's yard, and it was the book Free to Choose by Milton Friedman. And it was the first book that explained to me how our civil liberties are tied to our economic liberties. And then I went to college and I learned about John Locke, who basically invented property rights. And John Locke has there's a really interesting thing about his thought about this in particular. So John Locke's view is that we have property. The the philosophical argument for why we should be able to own property is that we own ourselves. And that is unequivocally true. It's easy to prove. Does anyone else own me? No. Uh, I, I clearly own my own body. And when I mix my labor with these things, then that, that gives me ownership of these things. Except for one exception that he made, which was actually you as the owner of your body, you're sort of a custodian for God. And actually, your body belongs to God. And therefore, the one thing you really can't do is you know harm other people, but also you can't kill yourself. Because actually, you belong to God. And it was a really, it, it was his only sort of exception. And I thought, I always thought that that was really interesting. And that is what I imagine most, like on a deep metaphysical level, sort of the problem a lot of people have with this, because you envision a situation where, you know, say it's a father of three kids, and he's depressed. And so he goes into a clinic and says, I'd like to kill myself, and then someone else kills him. Versus something that is somehow is just as awful, but somehow more acceptable of him committing suicide himself. Right. And that's like, I understand people who are really, who don't like this for those reasons, because those are just awful things to consider. But ultimately at the end of the day, I think that religious argument is kind of the only one that we, you can stand on. And and I don't think policy should be made under those.
4: Yeah. One thing I don't know is how this has worked in these other States. It's it, is it was a dozen states, something like that, have this already? Are there anecdotal reports where you think, like, well, this guy had a hangnail and he talked to the doctor and said so he said no. it was pancreatic cancer and like no. killed himself? Um, People who are severely depressed and and, and want to commit suicide uh, need intervention, clearly. And the fact that they have to see a physician uh, is probably a good first step in that case, rather than just getting out a, a weapon or, or just trying to down a bunch of pills and, and kill themselves that way. Uh, it seems like it's potentially quite humane and that there are enough safeguards that you're not going to get people who are just bummed out about something who want to end their lives. Um, and, and whether your life belongs to God or not, that's a religious view, and, and we should have a separation of religious views from our laws uh, in that regard, anyway.
0: Well, you don't think the slope is that slippery, do you, Austin, that we would go from there to there, that we would allow a terminally ill person to take their own life would suddenly slide into all of these other more dubious uses of a poison pill like that?
2: Um, I I don't think evidence from other states or countries shows that that's true. So I I don't think a slippery slope argument is the right one. And I would, just to clarify, I don't don't agree with this religious argument, but I think that it is the only one – did it's, it's one that it makes sense to me. And that's the one that you could put up as, as the reason not to do it.
3: I would say that it can be a slippery slope. I don't think that's a reason to not do it. Yeah. Take abortion. The vast majority of Americans are in favor of a moderate middle ground where it's not birth control. It's not allowed on the last day of the ninth month, month, but there's a reasonable time period in there, um, as opposed to the people who want to ban it altogether or allow it up until the last day. The bill that they're proposing sounds totally reasonable. It would take a couple of doctors. Uh, You have to ask a couple of times. You have to have a determination that you have six months to live sort of thing. When they originally started doing this back in Oregon, and people talked about a slippery slope, I was a little skeptical, but there is an issue going on in Canada about this. Um, They legalized it back in 2016. In 2021, they expanded it to people who don't have terminal conditions, just incurable. And the number of assisted deaths the following year went up by like 30%, which is kind of a lot. And they are actually just about to put into force a provision allowing it for mental illness, not terminal illness, not incurable illness, just being mentally ill, just being depressed. That's that's actually something that they've passed. What's and your the- reaction to that? I don't think that's a good idea.
0: I do. I do. I think those
3: people people should have intervention as as Eric was saying. I don't think think it's a good idea to end your life.
0: I think it's a good idea to allow you autonomy. Who am I to judge your mental pain? All the arguments we've said about, well, what business is it of mine to determine your outcome? I think the same Mm -hmm. argument would be at play
2: here.
3: I have to disagree with you there. Mm -hmm. I think if someone is depressed enough to commit suicide, they, they, they need mental health intervention, Don, um,
2: would you have an age limit on that, for example? What do you mean? So if should people only above a certain age be able to make that choice, do you think?
0: Well, the legislation here is you got to be—I think—is it 21 in Illinois to make that determination? So, a 25-year-old who maybe has a whole life in front of them, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe I would. <laughs> maybe I'd find a way to carve out a certain part of the population. Put it this way: here's my personal space. My parents are uh, 89 and 96, and they're not happy. And a lot of the times, I think they would take the pill. A lot of the times, I think they would take the pill. And frankly, I would give it to them, and I—and there would be nothing rash about. Them that. We've been dealing with their mental and physical health for years now, and I'm not sure what the point is of all the suffering everybody's going through. Sometimes they have good days. A lot of times they don't, and sometimes they say things very rationally, like, I'm done, and we have nothing we can do about that. So, Kate, pardon me, I I, I don't mean to sound flip about this, but that's where I'm coming from on that.
3: No, no, I I completely understand. I mean, I've uh, been in the same situations, but family members and i'm in the situation very similar to that right now myself so i completely understand um now but you didn't say that you were thinking about this just for the extreme elderly even then i'm i'm just not sure at at that point the slippery slope is very slippery and you know what this is going to sound i think a little crazy to everyone but And I am reading now from uh, a Reuters report, but I saw it also in a CBC report, that, and this is a quote from Canada's justice minister, um, they are considering um, and uh, expanding this to what they call mature minors who are considered to be capable of making their own decisions also about asking for Assistance in death it can become quite slippery at some point now you 're now there are literally going to be talking about letting people under eighteen decide to ask for assisted death not because they 're terminally ill but because they have anything incurable or if they are just mentally ill
0: okay i wouldn't i 'm not on page with that so yeah, my, yeah. austin and kate i i 'll have to rethink that, but um it seems to me like the sort of Um, abuse of this we think about is somebody doing it for financial purposes, that is, forcing the pill on somebody or encouraging them that way, and then you cashing in on the insurance. And um, insurance would pay in the case of this. It would not in Illinois be ruled as death uh, that the person died by suicide, but rather they died of pancreatic cancer or whatever it was that that diagnosis was for.
3: The current bill sounds absolutely completely reasonable.
0: So George Santos is out, and Tom, I'll say Swozy is in, S-U-O-Z-Z-I, yesterday in a special election to replace the disgraced, fabulous congressman from New York. Swozy won that seat. He is a former Democratic congressman, served three terms. He defeated Mazi Pillip, a little-known local legislator who, in fact, served in the Israeli military. Yeah, it's tempting to make a lot out of this. I think it's also easy to make too much out of this. But some people see this as maybe a tell as to where the presidential
1: election will go. I think the key thing is just like, how did a guy like George Santos get... As far as he did, and how do you make sure that doesn't happen again? This guy's a known
0: commodity. I mean, he's a three-term congressman. He's 61 years old. He's a pretty well-known
2: political commodity there. Yeah, yeah, he represented that area for six years in Congress. So, I mean— Obviously, Santos won that seat, Biden won that seat, but then there was a big, maybe it was the governor's race, I think, where the Republican run that uh, won that area as well in New York. So it's a swingy district, and it usually goes like 55-45 one way, 55-45 the other way, and this guy was a totally known commodity. So... I don't think it portends anything in particular about the election, but I will say our discussion earlier about the fact that like man Biden's just going to sit there and have all these surrogates go out, you know how is that ever going to work? That was his whole strategy in 2020, and he he won, so um, it's it's not crazy to think that that could work again. And we see the same dynamic where the polling shows people are so unhappy with Democratic leadership at the federal level, but in 2022 it just doesn't show up at the uh, at the state and local. Levels partially because the candidate quality on the Republican side is so bad. The
1: campaign against uh, this this congressman against Tom was very heavy on just like migrant paranoia, and yeah. you know, that that that's the big theme here in Chicago with with Democratic cities, sanctuary cities, and it didn't work. I mean, Democrats still won, so maybe it shows that electorally, maybe the fear mongering around the migrant crisis that strategy from the Republicans may not be as effective. Uh, Or it could just be unique to that area. But that that could be a sign that maybe those attacks from Republicans aren't going to hold as strong as they would uh, across the nation. That's why I said maybe
0: it's tempting to make too much out of this. But you can make that out of this. Eric, go ahead.
4: Well, I was just saying they also came right after the Republicans, I think, have shot themselves in the foot with this uh, vetoing a particularly strong bill on on, uh, the border. Because they want to save the issue for Donald Trump in the fall. And as I recall, uh, because he leaned into that and and talked about his views on on immigration and and he he did not shy from that topic. Uh, Joe Biden was able to stay in his basement, as they said, in 2020 because of, of the pandemic. Uh, he, he, he was able to run a, almost a rose garden campaign. And people said, well, yeah, of course he's not out there shaking hands and pressing the, you know, and, and kissing babies because there's COVID. Uh, he doesn't have that excuse this year. And he's going to have, he's going to have to get out and, and campaign. I do think that the fact that this swung, I think, like 15 points from red to blue uh, is meaningful. I think it suggests that, that Democratic voters are maybe a little more energized right now, but there's also the fact that nothing is like a presidential election in this country that I, I don't know what the turnout was at this election. I saw that, that Democrats turned out in better numbers than Republicans just in general. Uh, in the fall, you just don't know. You don't know where people are going to be and, and uh, I, I, you can't you, it's tempting to read much into this, but I'm not sure that you can read a whole lot into it.
0: They voted in a snowstorm, too. It was not a lot, a lot of people. Of these two best picture Oscar-nominated films. Maestro and the Holdovers, which did you like best last week? The boys liked Barbie more than the girls did. I thought Maestro was really good. I, I'm certain I'm in a minority here,
2: and I didn't like the Holdovers that much. I only saw the Holdovers, but I agree that it's a nice movie. But to me, got is so it did not deserve a Best Picture nomination. I think it's a that's a purely Giamatti factor. Who is great in it, but the writing was not. And the cinematography was was good. The whole plot line where the helicopter comes to take all the kids away except the one kid it was so absurd <laughs> that it almost like everything else about the movie was so realistic, and the the dynamic between the characters was great. But that was crazy. And just clearly like fixing a plot. Like, how do we get these two guys together? I don't know. I take everybody away. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, that film was a little overrated.
3: Yeah. To be nominated for Best Picture. Uh, clearly, they just have way too many spots for Best Picture. Maybe five wasn't enough. Ten
0: <laughs> too really? many, yeah, yeah.
3: and and I mean, am I the only one who felt that it was basically a, a slight updating of Sideways for Alexander Payne and Paul Giamatti? That's... He's playing another depressed I teacher. I know. Who
2: I know. feels felt like
3: that. a loser.
2: Yeah, yeah. I would watch every one of those, though. I would watch Paul Giamatti play that guy.
3: Oh yeah, the, I'm not sorry. I saw it. Not sorry. I watched it. It's a cute little movie. It just has no business being nominated for best. You're not picture.
0: exhausted though, like after already seeing him do that guy. Like after he then wrote the novel at the end of Sideways, this he got a <laughs> teaching job at this school and he's unhappy again. It's the
2: same. enthusiasm yeah. on yeah. what season is it? Like twenty years old, and I watched that. <laughs> I'm same.
0: exhausted watching that bit. I'm like Paul. Do something else. But <laughs> I'm, I'm the outlier here. I thought Bradley Cooper was terrific in Maestro, and I don't think most people felt that way or at least didn't like the movie that much, I don't think Eric liked that movie that no, much no, I,
4: I I talked about it last week. i I jumped all over this this bit and and went on and on about how I thought maestro was was uh, not a particularly interesting film, given that you had Leonard Bernstein, but you didn't really know much about what it took to become a conductor. You didn't really know anything about his life before he gets called to conduct the Philharmonic as a biopic. It didn't work for me, and it's it's not very dramatic. Uh, Bradley Cooper was great. Uh, it was, it was, and there were some interesting parts to it, but it just doesn't strike me. I was surprised to see that it was nominated for Best Picture. I have not seen The Holdovers, but I'm not tempted after what you guys have said.
1: <laughs> maybe you will be after me because uh. I think The Holdovers actually is worthy of Best Picture. I, I would not award it Best Picture. It was probably my fifth favorite movie of the year, maybe sixth. Um, but. If we have 10 spots, I think it deserves one of them. I think it was a beautiful film. I think it was kind of understated in how it uh, delivered just a, a simple story about the complexity of human life. And I think Giamatti, I love seeing his resurgence. Um, he's going from being in Verizon commercials, where I was like, dang, that's sad for a guy like him. <laughs> like Now, like he's back in the Oscars picture, I think it's a great thing. And this was the perfect role for him, I felt like, because his face is so expressive. That it can convey so many different human emotions in one sentence, which is just a rare feat for any actor. I think a lot of his acting is more than just the the lines, but also just the facial uh, expressions he's doing as well. I just I thought it was a charming film. Maybe I'm a maybe I'm a, a sap for you know mushy you know stuff like that, but it it definitely pulled up the heartstrings. Maestro wasn't a bad movie. I, I gotta give Bradley Cooper props for the transformation he did. I didn't finish it. <laughs> Not because it was a bad movie. I'm just oh, wait. Really bad about Oh wait, movies. I think
0: that's telling.
1: I mean, it was I was sleepy. I started it at night. <laughs> I, I woke up and Netflix is like used to still watching? Um but I don't think it deserves best picture. Holdovers, I think it's in the caliber. But Kate, I think what you said about maybe there's too many slots. I, I think there's something to that. When the Dark Knight got snubbed in the best picture category, that's where everyone just like, oh no, we gotta fix this. Yeah. And we may have overcorrected and maybe we shave two or three of those stuff. Maybe it
0: doesn't have to be a fixed number then, Brandon. It would be however many we think are worthy. And I don't know how the Academy would do that. A certain point total needs to be accrued. But if you get over the threshold, you're in. So this year it was seven made the cut. Next year, 11 make the cut. Maybe something like
1: that, huh? It could get controversial, though, because then it's like you got to show us the, the scorecards,
2: you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know this is not a shout out hour, but I did see a movie that I think should be nominated for Best Documentary. It's playing at the Music Box. It's 3D. It's the only 3D documentary I've ever seen. And it totally blew my mind. It's called Anselm One Name. It's about an artist named Anselm Kiefer. I hate 3D movies. I find them too dark and blurry, and they never work for me. This one was totally amazing and mind blowing. And it's a documentary. Really good. Anselm. At Music Box Theater. Okay. Anselm.
0: Okay. Well, today's Valentine's Day, and I did a shout out for The Way We Were. If you uh, just want to watch a great movie with a great soundtrack and beautiful people, go watch The Way We Were again, and you will thank me. And <laughs> I will thank you guys for being part of the podcast again this week. Austin Berg, Brandon Pope,
4: Kate Plies, Eric what, what Do you have an assignment for us for a movie for next week? Oh, that's a
0: good point, Eric. So, well, we've already knocked three out. Uh, what one or two do you guys want to comment on next week that we think we've all seen? I've seen them all pretty much. Uh,
3: um, I think somebody was saying that Past Lives is really terrific, and that's one of them.
0: Okay, let's do Boy, Past yeah. Lives.
3: Okay. And what about American Fiction?
0: Do we have to go to the movie theater to see American Fiction?
3: Oh, no, fiction? I, I think they're both available to stream.
0: Okay, all right. so. I've seen Past Lives. Get ready. And then American Fiction too. Alright, we'll touch on yeah, those next yeah, week. Thank you, guys.
4: See you guys. We're produced okay.
0: by Ben Anderson and Pete Zimmerman. I'm John Williams. We'll drop another pot on you next week. All right, kids. <laughs> that,
4: was fine. that was fun. fun. Yeah. Bye. Thanks. See you guys. Bye. Kate. Bye
0: now.
1: Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com.